Hello, everybody. Pej here on Pej's Recovery Corner. We are here with a very special guest today. First and foremost, I want to talk about Pej's Recovery Corner. We are a recovery-based podcast. We talk about all things recovery-based or lack thereof. Um, and that could have a lot of different meanings. But today, my special guest is Carrie. Carrie, welcome to the corner. Thank you. You're usually, you're usually right around the corner because you're usually right. always here whenever we're doing this. So Kerry's a dear, 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 dear friend. Love him very much. He is a man of recovery who demonstrates what uh, what we do in, in the recovery world uh, as far as being a service, helping people. But first and foremost, we want to delve into your past and learn more about you and uh, where you were born, where you're from growing up and, uh, you know, all the other stuff that that happened south florida baby south florida <laughs> so tell us about that uh you were born where uh fort myers florida fort myers myers florida fort right? myers florida yes yeah. yeah fort myers baby and that's where you were born yes sir yeah um i uh grew up with uh my grandmother for several years um lived on like three and a half acres and off a side street and it was a very quiet neighborhood um had a couple sets of friends there and they were both uh, sets of brothers and one of the set of the brothers had a, had a sister um they had complete families and um and then there i was living with my grandmother which uh, my grandmother was amazing um, amazing woman um i just think at some point my mom became ready to come get me and, and take me under her wing or, or that or my grandmother just couldn't handle me anymore. I don't know. I don't know what transpired. Well, how were you growing up? Like, were you a bad kid? Were you like, I don't, I don't think you suffer so. from oppositional personality disorder? What was it? I don't even know what that is, bro. Oh, it means you're basically oppositional. Like you're just a bad kid. I, that... I don't think so. I don't think I was a horrible kid, but then I do. One of the things I do remember is that I started snooping around my grandmother's house and um, I ended up finding a, a little tin, cash box. It was a box that had a bunch of collectible coins and silver certificates. And I was taking those. And when we go to the grocery store every week, I use that to buy a GI Joe. And then I had this whole, you know, finagle the whole way to get it in the car and get it home without her knowing. Um, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. If maybe she found out and I, I don't, I, I really don't know. I haven't, I haven't gotten into all that. Um, with my mother and, and really, I don't know if I need to, you know, it's what's done is done. So pastor, it'd be nice to know, but it's history, you know, um, I don't let that uh, define who I am today. You know? Okay. So then uh, any siblings grown up? Uh, not, not until uh, I forgot how old I was. I have a sister that's uh, 10 years younger than me and I have a brother that's 20 years younger than me. Okay. Um, so yeah, they they came along <clears throat> a little bit later once I moved in with my mother, um, and I, I want to say I was probably 11, 12 when my sister came around. I don't know. Let's do the math. I'm forty six now. So okay. But and then uh, what what happened? Like what, what, how was school? Were you a good student? No, horrible, terrible. Where'd you go to school? Never. Went. Where'd you go to high school? High school. Yes. Um, I was, well, the little bit of time that I did go was Riverdale High School. Um, it was right across the street from where my parent, my mom, and her soon-to-be, or actually husband at the time, moved to um, when we moved out of the neighborhood that I initially moved in to with my mother from my grandmother's house, which was a completely different environment that I was used to at, at my grandmother's place. Um, walked to school in elementary school, 
Um, it wasn't too far. It was maybe three quarters of a mile or something like that. We did walk down train tracks. Um, just a lot of little things that I remember. I mean, I, I still remember the first day of walking to school. And I, just, I still remember that. I remember meeting some kids there who ended up being my friends <clears throat> for, for quite a while. It took some time, though, to acclimate to, to the neighborhood and surroundings um, because I, I didn't carry a, a, a certain um, level of melanin in my skin. Um, so I was, in a way, there was, you know, I was a minority there um, in that neighborhood. I had. How are you a minority? I was white. And everybody else was? Black and Mexican, mostly. There's um, Mexicans in Florida? Oh, yeah. Really? Are you kidding me? I didn't know. I thought there was Immokalee, like... Florida, which is like 30 minutes away from my hometown, is like the, uh, uh, the migrant capital of the world. Seriously? I yeah. thought it was more Cubans and... Uh, no? Yeah, a lot of Mexicans, everything. Gua yeah. Guatemalans. Yeah, Guats, we call them. So, no offense. so growing up in a... In a uh, Colorful area, blacks, browns, being the only white guy. Was it? Was there other whites around too? Um, in the, the the little three neighborhood area that we lived in, there was about four or five that I knew of. Um, and I say five because I'm just guessing, but I knew four of. I was thinking about this last night. Mm -hmm. um, I could even name them off, but I won't do that. Um, there was a family that I was two brothers and a sister. They were my friends, um, and then there was a couple more scattered around and. Um, but no, not a lot. It was it was a uh, you know going to elementary school at Edgewood Elementary. That was um it was a very trying time. Um, I got picked on. I got bullied a lot. I got my first fist fight um, in third. I think it was third grade there, second or third grade. Um, and when they picked I, on you, or, or the, like what were they calling you names? Were cracker, they, cracker. Yeah, whiting things like that. Just cracker. Yeah, it's more cracker than anything down there. I, I didn't hear anything. Maybe you white sob or yeah, you white f or what? You know what I mean? Something like that. But right. It's mainly they just call you cracker. You know, and I, I didn't, I didn't ever experience that getting picked on and bullied on. The two friends I had at my grandmother's were, were, were you know, just cool dudes. We just rode bikes and had fun and explored in the woods and stuff like that. But um, it was different. Um, I immediately felt alienated from the world and um, I felt like I didn't belong. You know, right. I just didn't belong at all. Um, and that just went on. I went to fourth grade at another elementary school. We moved around a lot. Um, and so I went to a different elementary school. And that uh, that elementary school, a lot happened there. Um, after school one day, I was beat up by three guys. And uh, one of the guys urinated on me. Um, and I remember just, you know, how it made me feel not right then and there. It's when it sets in. It's when it sets in a week later or two weeks later. And mm -hmm. then the whole school is making fun of you because, and you got to, you know, you, you're, there's good people. Like I met good people that were my friends for a long time that said, Hey man, you, you know, one of my friends, Johnny G, um, he, he told me, he goes, don't, he, he told me what to do next time somebody came up to me and started screwing. What did he tell you what to do? Knock them out. Just try fight. to knock them out. And that's what I did. The next right. person that came to my face, I just hit him. You know, and that person left me alone. And that took a few more times in order for for people to leave me alone and let me kind of be me. You and know? did you start to gain some respect in the neighborhood? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I started hanging out with the older guys and um, a couple of the old heads that were uh, doing their thing. They had their side hustles. Man, they started to take to me. Um, one of the guys, I remember him saying, he goes, you're always watching. He said, that's a good thing. Don't ever lose that. 
And um, that same dude ended up using me to to run around the neighborhood and, you know, run stuff around the neighborhood that I didn't even know what it was. He always told me not to look in the bag. It didn't concern me. Just get it over there. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I did. And, and so then I started to meet more people. And, and then my mom moved out of that last, we lived on, it was Washington Avenue. And then we moved one street over on Madison. And we ended up, I think we moved one more place after that. And then we ended up moving out away from those, those areas. But what I was doing in middle school is I was skipping school all the time. I pretty much made it through sixth grade good. Seventh grade, I, I don't even remember going to school in seventh grade. Um, I skipped school. I took the bus back to the old neighborhood, and that's when I really started getting involved in what was going on in the street corners and, and stuff like that. So when you say back to the old neighborhood, the old neighborhood, was, was it kind of hooded out? Was it like Absolutely. The, okay. Absolutely. And you talking about what was going on in the streets. Like, was there gang activity? Was there drug dealing? No, there's not a lot of gang activity down there. Um, it's one thing about, at least, at least for my hometown, I know you go on the East Coast, it's a little different. Don't get me wrong. There's... There's sets and there's gangs around, but it's not it's not like you see. Oh, is it dope dealers? Uh, yeah, was yeah, dope dealers. There's a lot of hookers. There was that, but I didn't even you know I never got got around that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know who did that. I think throughout my whole life, even up to now, I think I know two people that maybe were involved in that. Okay. So it was it was it was drugs more than anything. First, it was guns. That that was what I was running around the neighborhood mm-hmm. for that old head, um, and then I became infatuated with firearms and um at 14 years old i ended up getting charged with six felony firearms convictions um or charges and then uh about a year later they ended up uh, closing the case and i got charged i got convicted of five of those as a juvenile at 14 and i got convicted at 15 yeah convicted like did you go to juvie uh for that one i stayed on the fourth floor of the lee county justice center they kept me there as a minor which was, what, what, I think I'd write at the end. You were incarcerated in a jail cell? Were you with other, with in like in a unit? Yeah, the fourth floor of Lee County Justice Center is all adults. It's all adults. So they had to put you in with the adults. Correct. Because of probably the intensity yeah. of your. And everybody told me, you're supposed to be over at, at J, whatever they called it, DH or whatever. They said, you're supposed to be over there, man. And, and fortunately, I knew some people in there from the neighborhood that were in locked up at the same time. So I was able to ride on their coattails. Um, I got in fights in there the first night I got in. The second time I was in, the first time I got in, I got in a, a fight the first night I was there. Matter, matter of fact, it was within the first hour I got jumped by a bunch of people. And, um, but then after that, I, I, I never got messed with because some of the boys from the old neighborhood stood up for me. Um, Did you, were you already getting into drugs or alcohol? No, drugs, drugs, nothing, man. No drugs, no alcohol. You hadn't um, even drank yet at this point. No. So no. you got in trouble for fire. The only alcohol like I had in my system was at my mom's wedding, man. And um, I have uh, these two uh, uh, really close friends of our family. I think my parent, my mother and stepfather were their godparents. And um, I think they're I think they're one of my sister or my brother's godparents, their parents. But anyways, at the wedding, they were they kept giving me these cups of this orange slushy stuff. And they kept feeding it to me. And I remember just getting a little something. It was in a fire hall and. My mom was a big dancer. She had a band and she had a, a, a disco ball. And I remember the lights from the disco ball just looking a little different. And and I hid. I ended up hiding underneath the bridal table, laying across the chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really looking back on it, I think it was for attention. I think it was because all the attention was over there on, on my mother and this new man who I'd never, I'd never been around a man. My grandfather and my grandmother were separated. My grandfather lived on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. And um, I never, my father left, my biological father, father left before birth. So I didn't never had a father figure around. 
So the men in that neighborhood that I ended up moving to ended up becoming the people I looked up to. You know, the dudes that were they were beating up the block and caddies and sabers and, and, and Paulas and those are the people that I looked up to. It was it was, it was a lot. I, was it was a lot of black black people? Absolutely, right. yeah. Because I know you got a lot of soul. <laughs> I, I, no, you do, man. You're a hip hop junkie. Like when I first met you, I met you in South Orange County. And I was like, oh, he's just a dude from OC, like just a white dude from OC. Yeah. When I got to know you better, like I was like, no, this this dude is like we we grew up on the same music. Like we grew up sure. in this. Sure. We, we, we know we, like we love hip hop. Absolutely. Like fucking yeah. love That's it. That's what I was brought up on. That's what we were brought up on. Yeah. It's like in our blood. Right? I, th- I th- And this is what I think. I, I couldn't stand country music for years. I could when I was, I was young in my teenage years, I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. And then I, we started scamming. If I stop, fuck it. We started scamming BMG and Columbia House Records, getting them in the mail, and we'd send them to addresses that would nobody lived at. Yeah. Right. And um, you get you know twelve CDs for a penny, and then if you paid the extra four dollars, you get like fifteen. So we would do that time and time again. So we had all the music, and every month they'd send you a featured selection that you just got. Right. And they sent me a Randy Travis album, and I was sitting there one night, and I said, "Man, fuck it, I'm going to listen to this." Right. Boom. You like My appreciation music. for country music just blew up. But I think it was like, because I got so attached to the hip hop music, because that was the collective ego at the time. That's what everybody was listening to. Everybody was feeding into it. Right. I, I think that because I fed into that, it allowed me to open my ears up to other music. And I right. still say to this day, the only music that I don't really have an appreciation for is opera. And and that, that slash death, death metal stuff, like it just doesn't even... My ears it can't tune into it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know. So to later on today, I'm going to put on some Pavarotti for you to listen to and just, just get all into it. Okay. So now growing up uh, during <laughs> growing up during that time in Florida, um, I mean, you said you're an open book the other day. There's certain things we don't need to talk about, but any kind of trauma that you experienced? Absolutely. You man. want to talk about um, that? I, I You know, I, you know that um, it's 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 not that I don't want to talk about it, but also I I need to have a conversation with somebody. I, at least I think this is something I need to work through. This is something I, in the last six years of being um, sober and in recovery that I haven't I haven't um, I haven't went down this path yet. So yeah, there was some childhood trauma. Um, I, my guess is around seven eight years old. Um, it was with a family member. And um, it was of a sexual nature. And um, I, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I, and I always, uh, years later, when I encountered that that family member, I always felt like there was something weird. And when I got older to really pay attention to, you know, people's mannerisms and their, their body language and their eye contact and all right. that stuff, um, which I learned from the street, um, I knew there was something weird about that person. Mm-hmm. And then years later, the, the you know, the, 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 the dots started connecting and I was like, that's why that person's always awkward to me. Hmm. That's why that person always has got, because now I've brought back all these memories that just stuffed, stuffed under, you know? Okay. It affected you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's good that you, so it's good that you're talking about it. I mean, yeah. it takes the time. Yeah, I, I don't, like I say, I'm, I really am open book, but there's like, you know, I, I, I need to give the respect to, Right. If I do, even if I even want to choose, because that's again, that's something I need to work with you with. You know, well, sure. Person, you know, um, I don't know how to handle that. Maybe it's just, you know, for me, 
I've accepted it. I've moved on. I don't let it affect me in my daily life today. And, and maybe it has over the years throughout times of relationships and all that. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't I don't see that today. You know, Very um, well. I've accepted it and moved on. Drugs and alcohol. How that? So how so the first time, like the first time, um, me and a buddy of mine skipped high school one day, and um, I never, I hardly even went. I think I went to high school a total of like sixty days or something like that. But um, when high school, we got in my parents' liquor cabinet. I didn't get drunk, um, but that was like the first time I actually like you know put alcohol in my system. Mm -hmm. He got trashed. Ended up going back to school. I don't know what happened. Um, and then um, I remember a buddy of my Pat got a hold of some bottles, man, and and we got tore up from the floor up man we threw up all over his apartment his wife came home the next morning boy she was hot and um you were, i remember you were that old was old at this time i, I want to say like maybe 15 16 you know it was he, he had a wife yeah he got married really young man i was gonna yeah. say yeah but he was also six five six years older so yeah something like that but okay. um um she uh, and just, she unfortunately passed away to this disease, man, um, years ago. Um, of combination opiates and Xanax. I know some of y'all heard of that combination before, you know, like it, it we're hearing a lot about it these days, but yes. um, it's sad, man. Um, but yeah, so then I started, you know, the, I remember uh, the next time that I really remember drinking, um, was uh, we stole some coolers from, from back of some somebody's truck and uh, went over to the high school to the pool across the street. Mm -hmm. And um, we got tore up in that pool, man. Tore up to the point where we couldn't even almost make it over the fence. And uh, I remember walking back arm in arm with my two buddies. And I remember just feeling like, man, I, I, this is what this is what's going to go down every weekend, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it didn't. It was a really slow progress. Um, the, the progression for me was very slow. Uh, for some reason, I was able to moderate whether it wasn't able to it wasn't the, the fact that we weren't able to get alcohol. It just, it just, we didn't make it a point to be drunk every weekend. But then, you know, once I got into like 18, 19, 20, that's where things really started to take off. Um, first drug that I ever did outside of alcohol was, uh, was ecstasy. And I went full blown into that, the culture. The, How old were you when you did that? I think it was like 20. Okay. Ninth, 20. Yeah. And during that time, obviously, I think you know you're a few years younger than me, but you were 20 years old in South Florida. Was was there a, a large EDM community? Huge break scene, huge. And and you were going to that. You were hanging absolutely, out. yeah. And that ended up you know turning into small businesses, into large businesses, and um, what and do really, you mean by smart small businesses, large businesses? What are you dealing uh, promotion? Pretty that that's what started. It. And okay. then and then with the money coming in, you know, you, we we're all thinking we could do this, we could run it. So I ended up moving to the East Coast and. Um, got involved in, in that for where New York? <clears throat> no, 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 no. West Palm Beach. Oh, so East West Coast. Palm Beach for a lot of because I've, I've said East Coast for Florida before, and I got scolded by people because they're like, "No, that's not the East Coast." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I usually don't. I think it's somebody just picked up out being out here." I say South. I'm from the South. South because I'm about as far south as you can go, besides you know Naples and Miami mm -hmm. and the Everglades, but um, and the Keys. But um, but yeah, I just say East Coast because we're on the West Coast, you know. Um. But yeah, that 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 ended up that whole thing ended up taking off. But um, it just became a big party, you know. There was there was a for a while there we had, you know, a good amount of money to do whatever we wanted to do. Um, and then one of my close friends, I saw that it was it was my closest friend, my best friend. Um, he started started taking them, hmm. you know. He he started traveling all over the state of Florida. And next thing you know, we're in Tampa. Next thing you know, we're in Orlando. And um, 
I can't stand Tampa. You know, nothing against the people of Tampa, but it's just not for me. Ybor City's not my thing, man. It's just like a big drunk fest, and then you can try to throw a rave up in there. It's not. It doesn't work, man. For me, um, Orlando, same thing. I wasn't. A, I'm not a big fan of Orlando. You want to go there and visit for a couple of weeks and visit the parks and do all that. That's cool. But to live there, I, I just didn't enjoy the scene because it was a little different from where we, what we were working out of in Fort Lauderdale and, and Miami and uh, more predominantly Palm Beach and Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So you're doing ecstasy now. Like, uh, yeah. Was cocaine in a mix or no, any other stuff? You no, never messed I didn't with that touch stuff? cocaine until I was 37 years old. Oh, okay. So, so throughout your 20s, it was more of a party type of environment? Absolutely, yeah. Drinking here and there once in a while, but when I yeah once when we, I used once ecstasy, got into the ecstasy world, the alcohol all that, kind of yeah, you don't yeah. mix that shit. No, I didn't okay. mix anything. So you were doing the love drugs, the designer drugs. You were having fun. You yeah. were enjoying the music. There was all different types of music. Absolutely right. So, but what I really, you know, what really turned me on to it was, you know, my buddy Pat called it fake buddies. When you went to a rave and you just meet people, and all of a sudden they're like family, you know. But that was the whole plur movement, you know, the peace, love, unity, respect. Man, I, we lived that. Yeah. Like it was real. Like it felt good. Yeah. Like it really, felt good even when we weren't you using. You love people. Yeah. yeah. That you're interacting. And, and my thing is, I have a huge fear of people, and ecstasy took that away. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't know if my fear of people came just because of, you know, I lived in a lot of depression and sadness that I didn't even know was present in my childhood and, and stuff, which just, you know, it started growing tenfold by tenfold into my 20s and, and then into my 30s. And, um, you know, drinking really didn't become a huge thing. Um, I'd met a girl, I think when I was about, oh gosh, man, the ages and the times, man, this is what happens when you get old. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I was like 26, 27, 28 when we, we got together. And then there was like a year in between for us, from us, a year and a half in between us for really getting together. And we were together for, you know, uh, 10 plus years. And um, But her and I, when we first met, that's all we did. That's all we did was go to the bar and get, you know, I don't even know how I got home. I don't know how she got home. Like we make sure some nights we didn't. Some nights I sleep in my truck until I woke up. I mean, it was all that, you know. Yeah. Um, was there more pro- police interactions throughout your? 20s you know, you know what's crazy, man, is um, I've only had one police or two police interactions since I was eighteen. I mean, there was a lot of interactions. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. um, you know, uh, had a house uh, that I was uh, in with a friend of mine down in Naples, and we were heavily involved at the time, and. You know, yeah, we got we got the door busted in um, twice, actually. And the third time um, they came to the house, we were already out of the house and, and you know, there was nobody there when they came. So, um, but yeah, there was a lot of that, man. A lot of the, the criminal world, uh, I was linked up with a, some bad people, you know. And, and I, I don't like to call them bad people because the people that I know are good They were people. just living different lives. It's just what they know. It's yeah. what they do. So in your 30s, now, uh, you say that, First time you tried cocaine, what what happened that you went into that direction? Were you uh, was, was it a regular thing? I was drinking heavily. I was already. This so you went I, back to drinking. So when I went to New York, because I thought there was indictments that were going to roll down because I got involved in some other shit down in Florida, um, I ended up going up to New York with a friend of mine, and um, I was basically hiding out, you know. Yeah. And 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 if the indictments did drop, and you know, I got phone calls from Florida that hey, they're looking for you. They're trying to serve you, then I was going to, you know, kind of get the wheels in motion and kind of be ahead of the game a little bit. So they didn't just pick me up and take me to jail and then I'm stuck. Um, but I just started drinking, man, um, like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, smoking was in there a little bit, but I pretty much stopped smoking bud when I was in New York. I smoked here and there. And then there was like maybe a little period of like a couple months, three months where I was on it. But then it was just, it was alcohol, man. Alcohol took me to my 
face on the floor. Right? And during these times when when out when you were deep into your alcoholism, did you ever did the thought ever occur to you like I I'm not really living a good life. I probably need to change this. I knew it didn't feel good. I need to sober up. It felt evil, man. Did you know anything about sobriety yet? Nothing. I had one friend um, from South Florida. He's still living down there that uh, I used to drop him off at meetings, man. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time, this one time specifically, he dropped me off at a meeting. I mean, I dropped him off at a meeting and he kind of turned when he went to go out the door and he turned me. He goes, you know, you should come in sometime, man. Check it out. <laughs> there's a so cup. There's a cup in my cup holder with liquor in it, you know, and and that's just how I rolled, you know. It was always a drink or or some smoke or how something. How old were you at this time? Oh man, like 30, 30 something, 30, 32, 33, I think when this was going on, like when he was trying to get sober. And so that's all. So I you did. had caught wind of some kind that's of recovery. That's it. That's all I know is he was trying to stay sober, but I didn't have that problem. Okay. You know, I didn't have what he had. That's all. Yeah. That's all it crossed. Yeah. I know he had wrecked multiple cars he had had many interactions and arrests with the police or at least you know there was one that i remember that was a pretty bad one you know and, and um but nah man i didn't know nothing about recovery you know it wasn't on my radar ever okay. i didn't think i had a problem so he he was sort of the light like he turned you on to the fact that no i mean i don't want to take that away he tried no i'm saying he did, well you know. there was you'd seen somebody that changed their life from what you'd seen him living like before. He was in and out. He was in and out. Oh, he wasn't. Yeah, he was in and out. Yeah. Okay, so so then down the line, I mean, in your I know you worked in a boat yard, right? A boat dealership. Boat boat dealership. Yeah. You were in a relationship for a while. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism was was in full effect? No, I I wouldn't say it was. Um I do remember um I was working uh, I think I got a promotion at work. I think I was a service manager at the dealership and um I'd come home and I had always had a bottle of rum. I always had some nice rum, you know, sitting there. And I'd come home and um, my lady at the time was cooking dinner and the little girl was running around. And uh, I remember I had made a drink and I'd, I'd gotten used to coming home and just making a drink. And that's it. Well, this night I had made, I think I was on two or three. And her father was a career alcoholic, man. The guy that could, you know, he was a functioning alcoholic. He could drink. I don't know how much he drank in the morning before he went to work, but then he'd keep a big old, you know, 7-Eleven mug and, you know, and, and he drank all day. And then when he got home, man, he sit in the garage and just drank until he passed out. He was going to the doctor. He's leading. He was the epitome the of a functioning alcoholic. Yeah, great guy, man. Love, love sitting around talking to him. But um, being around him, but he, yeah, he was that. I know, I, I, I know that wasn't me, you know, but my lady said something. She goes, you know, you reminded me of my dad that, that particular night. And so I just – Laid off, man. I just stopped. You know, it wasn't until I went to New York where the drinking really got insane, out of control. But before I went to New York, I was addicted to the, the pills, the Roxy's. I got on those. And that's what, that's what you know, got in between my relationship. That, you know, I, that girl, uh, you know, uh, I assisted her in raising her daughter for several years. Mm -hmm. And, um, Why don't you say, like, when you say Roxy's, because there's some people that don't know what Roxy's are. What, what Oxycodone. Are Thirty Oxy, milligram. Thirty yeah. milligram. Yeah. It used to be the the oxy eighties, and then they remanufactured Correct. them. At the time release, yeah. Because because people were getting the eighties before, and they were shooting right. it and stuff like right. that. So they right. But it's not like these weren't still serving their purpose. They were still getting you high. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you double. And I did, and I, I and I was I was they were transferring through my hands way before I used them. That's how it was. I, I could I could go pick up a bag of uh, yay. 
and and never touch it. I just never did, man. You mm-hmm. know, some some old heads back in the neighborhood that I, you know, I call my uncles. They told me they showed me a bag of weed one time and a bag of coke, and they held it out. And my uncle Robert said, "This is the devil's. This is the devil's food." He said, "Don't don't ever mess with this." And it was weed and coke, and and I just never did. I didn't even smoke weed until I think I was like 24, 25. and I already, I'd already been doing hallucinogenics and and, and ecstasy. Mm-hmm. That was it, you know. Um, so yeah, late bloomer, slow progression on everything. But um, I think that Look, my Trey just said Roxy Kit, brand name for oxycodone. Roxyset, yeah. Roxyset, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think you the, know Trey asked a question here. He said, "Yeah, do you ever feel you have lasting effects from your drug use, such as a mem- such as memory problems or other health problems?" I mean, I definitely have some spurts of uh, memory lapse. I mean, Paige and I run around this house all the time looking for shit. <laughs> and they'll ask me, you seen this? I'll be like, is this drugs or is it old age? No. Um, I don't know about any health issues. Um, that's That brings up a really good thing is that I'm kind of a procrastinator about going to the doctor. Um, but I haven't, I don't, I, I don't think I've had any um, negative effects yet that have surfaced, you know. Um, I know when I go to the doctor, they always say, you're a, you're a healthy young man, you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard to believe being with all the shit that I was putting in my body, you know? Okay. So, so there's pills, there's Coke there. You've had your ecstasy run and there's drinking, lots of drinking during this time. Now you start getting a little bit older and somebody you caught wind of somebody who, who told you that they can get you help. Yeah. I had, um, basically I'd gotten to a point in my depression and in my drinking where I decided that I, I didn't want to breathe anymore and, and I didn't want to be here. Anymore. Were you living in South Florida? No, time? I was in New York. You're in New York. Yeah. I didn't start using Coke until I was in New York. Um, and that was just something where somebody said, you want something? They're like, Oh no, you don't fuck with it. And then I was like, nah, fuck that. Give me that. You know what I mean? So that's just how it happened. But um, that was a short thing. It was maybe a year and a half, two years on and off that I used uh, yay. But the drinking, man, I, I got, the, I really feel like it was the drinking that accelerated the depression, the sadness. And um, I just felt like I had nothing to live for, man. I had no purpose. Um, uh, you know, I, I was, I had been in a relationship that um, was just toxic and it was, you know, I'll take full blame and responsibility for that um, because of my drinking and, right. and because I, I couldn't control or maintain anymore. I couldn't drink in moderation. I got to a point where my body needed the alcohol to function. I went through DTs. I woke up in my bed one morning, ripping the sheets, thinking there was bugs in my bed. And I freaked Hallucinating. out. Hallucinating. Yeah. From yeah. from too much drinking. Okay. So this is where it gets a little bit juicy. Who the fuck offered you help? So one of my good friends um, from South Florida, mm-hmm. his name, I'll just say his first name. His name is Ricky. I love you, man, if you see this. Yeah. Um, he... Uh, I didn't know it. We hadn't talked for a little bit over a year. And um, he ended up uh, coming out to California. And he had been out here for like eight months or so sober. And he was living in L.A. He was a chef. And he was working a food truck, I believe, in L.A. And he had to get up early in the morning. And um, I had now at this point in my in my life, I had, like I said, I had decided to take myself off this earth. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd set a date. And uh, I started writing my letters. I got all my letters completed to my family mm-hmm. and a few ex-girlfriends and a couple sure. friends. Um, got all that stuff out of the way. And I was just basically waiting on the 
clock. I had a calendar, man. I was actually crossing the days off on the calendar. To go kill yourself. Day. Yeah. And, You're going to um, commit suicide. Absolutely. And yeah. my two best friends had both, you know, my, I don't want to say best friends. I got a lot of good friends in Florida that have been very close throughout the years. But the two guys that were closest to me, they both committed suicide. Uh, one in uh, uh, 90, 90, I always get 97, 98 mixed up or in 2012. And um, so being that happened and now it's 2013, 2014, um, I felt like that was just destined for me to do the same. You know, the two guys, the one guy I'd known since childhood, mm -hmm. the one guy I'd known since my mother grabbed me from my grandma's and took me to that first neighborhood. That's where I met him. And he had been my friend ever since, you know, we, we were inseparable. Everybody knew it. Um, so me deciding to do this and coming up with how I was going to do it, I, I couldn't put a gun to my head and pull the trigger. Cause that's how Sean went out. I still to this day don't know how Rick went out. Um, I imagine it was from a shot or pills because he was you sure. know, he was also um, involved in all that too. And um, so I come up with a way to, to go out and I was out with a couple of my, my two close friends in New York one night and um, they ended up dropping me off at the bottom of my hill that I lived up on or whatever. And um, um, I ended up uh, blacking out at 1.30 in the morning. I remember the last thing I remember was shutting the door. My boy Minnie got in the car and we hugged each other. And um, I remember watching these taillights of his Acura go down the hill and that's it. Next thing I remember is waking up, hearing my phone ringing. I'm waking up freezing, cold, rocks, grass, wet. And I'm looking for, I'm laying on my phone. I pick it up and it's my boy Ricky from Florida. And I hadn't talked to him over in a year. Now he had this whole experience that happened out here in California that facilitated that phone call. And I just broke down. I just broke down, man. And he asked me, he says, do you want me to call somebody that, that can maybe help you? Mm -hmm. And I said, yes. And normally I wouldn't have said yes, but I knew that my life had gotten to that point where I wasn't going to be here. Mm. It's like, When you talk about this stuff, man, the pain, the depression, that sadness, still, it's still there. Mm. I mean, it's you know, I don't live in it, yeah, and I don't entertain it, and I don't feed into it anymore. But when you talk about it, knowing the point that I got to, that I had chosen as a human being to take myself off this earth, like that's it. Just it, it's hard. Mm. It's hard for me. So Ricky asked me, if, you know, you want me to call somebody? He got some guy to call me. He talked to me all the way back to the house, which I lived. I was down there. I went to the railroad tracks, which is, again, I, I feel it's like always important to say this. Those railroad tracks is how I had planned on taking myself out. You were going to have a train hit you. I was going to lay my head on the rail. And, 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 when I, and when I say that I was sick, I was looking at videos that people had done. I was studying and researching about how long the brain still operate, you know, from what we know mm -hmm. is still active after the head is, you know, off. And I mean, I was sick. And so that area that I had picked to do that, I was two and a half weeks from that date. I ended up in a blackout, taking myself to those tracks after my boys dropped me off. And then Ricky has this whole experience out here in California where he had like a message and had like three separate times in the morning while he was getting ready for work at three thirty four in the morning and calls me. And, and so 
he asked me if he wanted me to call somebody to help. He called somebody. That guy called me. He guy talked to me for like two hours. He said, you know, let's stay in contact. I'm going to keep checking. He checked up on me every day. And then he, he was talking treatment. He was sending me treatment pamphlets through my email. I was looking. Oh, that looks great. You know, and he's like, you want, then he called me and says, you want to go to Mexico and, and sober up on the beach? And I'm like, sure. At this point, I was just like, I needed something. You said you two were going to take anything. Okay. So this guy. Yeah. Did he buy insurance? Absolutely. Okay. I never. I didn't have health insurance at the time, man. This guy bought you insurance. Now you're on your way to treatment. Did you know where you were going? Did you? I knew I was going to Laguna Beach. That's it. You were going to go to Laguna Beach, California. Yeah. You had no idea who this guy was that bought you this insurance. No. But there was just this hope, right? No. Okay. So which the, is funny because that's their name, their little fictitious little name of their thing was called the Hope Foundation or some shit like that. Yeah. So. Yes, they're saying divine intervention, but this is where, right, right. when I said it was sure. going to get juicy, this is where this fucking shit gets juicy. Yeah. My boy was fucking, they bought him insurance. Yeah, but but I had to pay money too before I even came to California. I paid over four You had grand. to pay the premium yeah. and all that. I don't know what I paid. He just said, I need this and boom, send it. But they set you up with insurance and they brokered you out to California from yeah. Florida yeah. to go to treatment. Did they make any offers? Did they say like no. nothing like that? No, nothing. Okay, so the people who brought him out here were basically a, a father and a son, correct? Who were more recently indicted? Well, not recently. I'd say over a year and a two half years, ago, two yeah. years ago, they were indicted because they were um, obtaining insurance for people nationally and bringing them out to treatment to California. Correct. So in a sense, you were brokered, but like they didn't entice you with any kinds of money or anything like that. Nothing. Nothing. I think one time he said, you know, I'll come visit you. I'll bring you some cigarettes. I'm like, bro, I don't smoke cigarettes. Never have. And I'm not going to start. Was that the son? That was the son, yeah. He was Should my, we say I the name? To the, nah, bro. I no, don't, don't say the name. Nah, okay. I, I don't live like that. Okay, I okay, okay. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I've been, nah, I don't, I don't, that's not cool. Right. She says caught up in the shady, but you didn't even know. I didn't know. And yeah. the thing about it was, is the, you know, I was in detox for 72 days. Right. Then they held me at the house for- Oh, was that slow, slow down. Oh. All right. <laughs> Let me catch up to this here. Okay. You were in detox for 72 fucking days. Yeah. Why? Who the fuck goes to detox? I know people that have methadone addictions that weren't in detox for more than 30 days. Number one, I had the best policies you could get at the time. So they thought. And number two, I also, excuse me, I also, um, I also came in. Admitting that I was suicidal, man. Okay, I had planned out. So they know. they had you like on like it's a seven suicide watch. Eye, All right, yeah. but they had the best policy to keep you in treatment for that long amount Absolutely. of time. However, wasn't your shit inactive? <laughs> this is where it gets good. So I I walked into treatment February fifth, two thousand fifteen. My sobriety date is February. By the way, 6th. Dean is saying I went through the same. Dean, I'm having you on here, and not only for that reason, many other reasons too. But I love you. Okay. So, so yeah. So um, I, I walked into treatment February 5th. My policy was active. Um, I was in treatment for 11 and a half months oh, as a client. Um, this guy calls me. The, the broker guy calls me. I think it was like. Uh, October, maybe something. And he calls and I hadn't heard from him at all this whole time. Had he even came to the center, I didn't even meet him. I didn't even know who he was when he was there. Right. But um, so it was like September, October, something like that. And he calls me and he goes, well, man, he goes, you've been there longer than anybody else. You're doing great, man. Uh, he goes, I get all, all the review. They said, you're the, 
model client. He was blah, blah, getting blah. the reviews. Or, or at least he was getting feedback. He was know? getting feedback yeah. from the client. Feedback. He was getting feedback. All right. Where's no, the envelope? Checking he was, on you. He was getting them checks. That's right. But um, so he tells me, he goes, You're about end, you're about up. Your time's about up. And so me, my head spinning, I'm you know, kind of like freaking out a little bit, but then I wasn't because I had somebody at that treatment center who's a very good friend of mine and who I'm actually meeting tomorrow mm-hmm. for coffee. Um you know, she kind of guided me through the whole process, reeled me back in when I was ready to jump ship like three different times. But um, uh, so I, I started spinning. So I called my insurance company on a whim, just, you know, thinking something, something stank here, you know. So I called my insurance company and the lady on the phone says, Mr. Lagarde, you haven't, your policy lapsed in April. But see, what's interesting is the treatment center didn't even know. Didn't even know. So I went and then um, I sat down the director at the time and then uh, another gentleman who I think was in operations at the time, who's a very good friend of mine and ours today. Mm-hmm. And um, I sat them down and I sat them down. And I said, hey, I, you know, we haven't talked. We haven't followed up. I just want to follow up and find out where I'm at with my insurance. And the director looked over at the operations dude and and uh, he said, yeah, where's he? he goes, oh, man, you're good. Your policy, you know, so they're thinking, they're, thinking that they're, they're banking on the yeah, policy. Yeah. And um, so I said, okay, cool. So I'm I'm good for a little while. So I figure out where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. And I say, oh yeah, you're good. Man. Eleven months. So I, I let him. I let him say, okay, is that all you had? Yeah. Do you hear this, Cindy? Eleven fucking months. They were fucking milking that udder. Go ahead. So nine. They, so, so nine months they didn't get paid. So oh, okay. so oh, so anyway. Okay. So I let the conversation go. I said, all right, guys, thanks for thanks for taking the time to meet with me. And we stood up, and then I sat back down. I said, now sit the fuck back down. Mm-hmm. I said, because now I got some shit that I need to figure. We need to figure out here. And I says. So if you're saying I'm good and my insurance policy is good, then why in the fuck? And I said it just like that. <laughs> why in the fuck you tell me when I called my insurance company a few days ago, they tell me my policy lapsed back in April. Oh, man. And you should have seen the confusion filled <laughs> up that room, you know. Um, and then, if it, you know, it figured it, they figured out that, that, you know, that, that they stopped paying that premium. Hmm. Which was I still remember the amount. It was five forty three and twelve cents a month. A month. Okay, so this is where we'll get past this now. Now let, let's move past this. Yeah, this shit happened, uh, but you were struck with sobriety because here you. How old were you at the time? Forty one, forty two years old. Forty. Forty. I walked okay. into treatment at 40. forty years old. Had you already in this nine nine to eleven month period? come to the conclusion and the decision that you want to stay sober a hundred percent. I pretty much had kind of just been, you know, from, from again, they, the, that treatment center took me to meetings mm-hmm. and I didn't listen, man. I was all around the room looking at her, looking at him, looking at what if yeah. you know, yeah, you, you weren't know, serious. All yet. that. No, but, but the whole time, again, this is the shit that I learned from years ago that the old heads taught me is always pay the fuck attention. Mm-hmm. Always watch your surround. Always keep. So the whole time, my ears were open to the people at the podium, mm-hmm. and I heard what they. Th- and then slowly, I started going, "Oh shit!" I, I remember when I felt like that, or I remember what he's talking about, or she, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, and then like I said, I had this person in the treatment center that just kind of kept nudging me when I needed, and right. um, I felt like I had a good therapist, but we didn't get too far. She ended up leaving the company yeah. um, pretty early on. I didn't before I even left the detox right. house, but. Um, in that time, we had gotten through some stuff, and she had, you know, kind of given me a couple seeds, you know. And so, well, also apparently the, the center thought that you were a valuable, not just uh, uh, client, but 
eventually they they brought you on. Yeah, like eleven and eleven months, eleven and a half months. They, they hired, hired me as, they their, hired as their men's uh, IOP house. Okay, manager. so you were running a house, you were a, a sober living manager, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then something happened for you. Cindy asked her earlier. She said, um, "How do you stay sober today?" Do you still do meetings? Do you have a sponsor? Do you sponsor? Absolutely. Okay. All yes to all that. Yeah. Yes to all. That. So what happened? I have to. Man. Some, like, some, some, just, you, know, you said you were a person that sat in meetings and weren't even about this way of life. Yeah, that was probably for the first few months. Oh, dude, first it was just four a few or five months. months, you know. And then six months, seven months, you know, things started making more sense. But I still was. I had a sponsor. We did one, two, three, and six hours in his apartment, but I didn't go any further than that. Yeah. Stop calling him. Didn't show up for a meeting that we're supposed to go to at somebody's house that I was like wanted to go to so bad, but then I didn't. I called him and said, "Hey, man, I got to do something for the, the the center," which I did. But you know, I ended up flaking. Um, so I got my second sponsor, sponsor, and that's when I dove in. However, I got that second sponsor. I was still kind of kind of like dragging my ass, so to right. say. And then I think it was uh, December. Was it December of yeah. 2015? Mm -hmm. You were the speaker getter for Gucci. You and I didn't know each other. I wasn't the speaker getter, but I remember we did gotcha. have a speaker. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. your sponsor ended up speaking at that meeting that night. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that was the that was the point where I realized I need to jump into this, right? Because what that man, his story, and what he had went through, and and he was still sober. I think at the time, 32, 33 years. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, I went home that night and I laid in bed and looked at my ceiling and said. Carrie, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah. Like that guy can stay sober yeah. and, and have a life. And then you can too. And what, the, what am I complaining about? You right, know what I mean? Right, right. So that talk that night is what kind of propelled me. I called my sponsor the next morning. First thing. And I said, I need to jump into this. I need to be doing this because that man, uh, you know, and so here we are, you know. There's the divine intervention right there. Yeah, man. Itself. I'm telling you, because that it, talk that night opened. We just blew. I got goosebumps, man. Look at that. Like, like that shit. Really it's a powerful night. Me. Yeah. It's a very powerful and that's night. what the program's about, man. He shared his experience, strength, and hope, mm -hmm. and he got to me. Trey just said the seed sprouted. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. So now, you know, as far as this is what I what I love about you. For one, you're like my brother. Like I love Absolutely. you. You know, you're such a good man in recovery. Thank and what, what top of the conversation I said you demonstrate what it means to be a man of recovery. You do a lot of things that um that uh, you, you're of service, maximum service to, to God and his fellows. And I watch this with you. You have a certain calmness about you. Often when we have conversations, when it comes to recovery-based stuff, um, I notice that like it's it's I, I can count on you for many different things. But one thing I could definitely count on you on is that you're not wishy-washy and you're not one foot in, one foot out. You've, you've surrendered completely. If that's what you want to call it. I mean, you, 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 you're, you're not in yeah. relapse mode. You don't talk about, I'm always in my head. None of that shit. You're very at peace with, with yourself and, and the world. I, you know, I want to, I just want to say like what, if you, if there's any people out there struggling or the people that you encounter that are struggling, what do you tell them to give them inspiration and hope to be able to come on this path? What, what can you tell them? I mean, I, just my experience. I just share my experience so far. I was a negative, a very negative individual for a long time. I lived in a negative lifestyle. Right. I saw a lot of bad shit. I, you know, I felt, uh, you know, with my best friends passing away and a lot of other stuff, man, really bad stuff that I, you know, I still pray about a couple 
things that happened years ago every morning and every night mm-hmm. for God to please forgive and take take that, you know. But you got to start somewhere, you know, and, and like you know, people talk about the gift of desperation and all that. And that was God working in my life when I could, when I was done right. with my life. Like if, if that's not a sign, how how my boy Ricky was out here in California and had this whole experience in his in his sober living. And, and then he picked up the phone and called me. We hadn't talked in a year and he wakes me up next to the tracks that I'd planned on taking myself out on. Come on, man. I can't deny this shit. No yes. More. There's something that wants me to be here for a reason. Right. You know, and like I truly want to be in a position where I can go out and help people like you, like you, you demonstrate this shit. Better than anybody I know. And I'm not just saying that to talk up this podcast. Man. You really do. And I look up to that. I want to be in a position where I can branch out. And I, I out. learned from Cindy Wofford. That's why. Oh, was that Cindy? Cindy? Yeah. yeah. What's up, Cindy? <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, you know, you and I were talking yesterday or day before that. I don't have that checkbox anymore. That option isn't available on my sheet or document. That contract that I signed with God. And step three, I don't, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no secret document there. It's still got the checkbox to go right. back and use. It just doesn't make You've sense. You've made an absolute me. decision to be, this is your way of life. You've made that decision. Yeah, man. It's the best feeling I've ever got. You know, I was reading. Better uh, than the drugs, I was better on than the alcohol. YouTube last night and some dude said, I've been sober for three years. I used to do heroin. And he goes, he said it right how I say it. Being sober and having a relationship with his higher power, this is his exact words. Is the best feeling that any drug or drink has ever put in Absolutely. my body, and that's the way I feel, Absolutely. man. This power that I've that we tap into, that I've tapped into, is the best feeling I've ever had in my life, man. No ecstasy, no nothing, no nothing, nothing none of that stuff no. can add up to this. You know, but but you know, with that, I still struggle with stuff. I still got insecurities. I still have fear of people, and you know, there's things that I have to work on. You know, I, I still like, you know, I, I hate being a speaker getter. I'm saying it. I can't. This shit's about to drive me crazy. I'm a speaker getter for two meetings and it's it's about to blow my head off, man. But, you know, we talk about that. But um, like there's still a lot of stuff that I have to work on. You know, um, I have to fully open up with people like as in just interaction wise. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the type that for years I just sit back and I watch everybody, you know, and I can interact no problem with people, but it's just that initial, you know, interaction. I don't, I don't, you know, that was what the alcohol and drugs always took care mm-hmm. of for me. Mm-hmm. I had no problem going up saying, hi, my name's Carrie. I'm da-da-da. Now it's like, I'm just kind of reserved in that sense. You know, I got to say, you know, like I, I watched you uh, and maybe uh, I pushed you a few times to do this, but like I watched you, I watch you and watch, have watched you help several people, uh, mostly young men or just men that need help in the recovery Space. It's anybody, man. It's any I, I, I watch you earth. sit with them. I watch you read with them. I watch you. I watch them look up to you, and not because uh, there's something like where you're at, like coming from a higher level. Like you always keep it neutral. You always let them know that you're no different than them, and that that you're there for them. Um, and you don't ever take it personal if they end up going out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people go out. Just happen. They just yeah. they just it, it just happened. But but the fact is is that uh, you are such a good man and i i look up to you you know some people say like you call me sponsor but like really truth be told is like we kind of sponsor each other and i think that's a good thing because through you i learn a a better sense of calmness i i learn to uh 
not be judgmental. You're very neutral. Like you, you're not a person that that's out there hating on people and shit like that. And and so I learned from you. I, I appreciate. And you know, like you're not just one of my roommates in one of the houses I live in, but also um, you're you're like one of my best friends. Like mm-hmm. I, I could Absolutely. always count on you. And I kept I thinking over the weeks of having different guests on here. Why not have Carrie on here because he's got a fucking hell of a story. And he's just a you're a good in like a good man, a Thank truly you, man. It's a hard good to hear man. that because I wasn't for so long. Uh, you know? I understand, man. And you know, like when we're caught up in our demons and our addiction and alcoholism, it's like I feel your emotions. I, I I have to hold myself together when I see the tears coming out of your eyes. I can't. This is you know if if anybody's new out there and never hears this, yeah. this is what you get back. You get your emotions back. That's right. You, you get, get your feelings back. You get to you feel know? your feelings. As Earl yeah. would say, you get to feel your feelings. And I can't, like, it hits me right here. Man. Oh, I it understand. It comes up and... And, and, and I think even it's if... Not listen, it's not just, just to try to out ourselves, like, to, to, to off ourselves, like, by putting our head on a on a railing, on a, on a, a railroad track for a, a, a train to run us over, I was contemplating my own suicide myself. I was like, I, I need to go up to Malibu in my fucking car... And drive this car off a cliff. This is like towards the end. And but knowing me with my fucking luck, I will probably demolish the entire car. I'll be shacked up in some fucking hospital room uh, as a paraplegic, just thinking I couldn't even pull off my own fucking suicide, <laughs> right. right? But truth be told, my ego wasn't gonna let me kill myself anyway. So why not just drown myself in, in drugs and alcohol, right. which is useless anyways, because that's a slow suicide within itself. That especially the type right. of drugs Spirits I was doing. Death. Yeah. It's a spiritual diet. With the type of drugs I was doing, people would tell me, Pej, fuck, you're kind of like, you're going, like, you go a little too hard. Like, you might, you're going to die if you keep I've seen the pictures. You keep drinking <laughs> and using like this, and I'd say, good, fucking give me more. You know, it's like, let, let me fucking do drugs that are going to make my heart just blow out of my chest. But in reality, like, that's not who we were. When I look back at who I was then, and I think, I'm sure you do too, you look back at who you were then, sure. that's not our true essence. That's not our true self. That's no. not our authentic self. This is what we tap into when we come to recovery is, is we get to have this new beautiful way of life without having to put substances into our body to try Absolutely. to make ourselves feel good. And that's the inspiration within itself. You've got a lot of people that came on here today that were uh, – you know, just up talking to you, man. People, you, people be loving you, boy. People be loving you. So just know that you, you've put a lot of love into the universe, and the love is reciprocated. And 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 just know it's the you, only thing that makes sense anymore. You know, it is like love and kindness, like straight up. Like why, why am I going to get, you know, get get on the ass about this and that, whatever her or she did? It's yeah. just a, it, that that energy that you expel on negativity is just it's it's false it's bullshit right like i just don't i, I don't it doesn't feel good anymore yeah, absolutely all right well this was a wonderful episode it was Thank so you. good to have you yeah. here and you were struck with sobriety and look at you look at where you are now that you never would have known that since your ass got brokered that you would actually have this way of life like that it's, it's a beautiful thing I know this. yeah <laughs> Thank you all for coming in to check Carrie out today. I love you all very much and have a lovely rest of your day. And uh, we'll be back on next Sunday. Bye.